Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 475 with Mike Milan. It's as simple as that, is we're taking away people's reasons not to do the things that make them successful. You know, and when we talk about people feed off of that energy, if I give out, if I give out the positive energy, if I if, if I'm also doing things for others, it comes back to me. And what happened is that our employees didn't leave. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval c terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic what's sorcery sorcery is ap automation digital invoicing and time and money saved that's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire accounts payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Mike Mylan. Mike, are you feeling unstoppable today? Totally unstoppable, man. I cannot believe we're here, Eric. I said, you and I have been talking about this for a while, and thanks for having me on. I'm pumped to have you on the show. I can't wait to learn more about your your story and what makes you you. But let me just quickly inform the listeners who we're talking to. Mike Milan is the VP of Customer Success at Finograph. Prior to joining Finograph, uh, Mike was president of J&M Investments, which owned and operated various companies in the hospitality, staffing, food and beverage, real estate management, and consulting industries. Uh, obviously, we're not doing you justice with that, that interview. There's so much more going on with who you are, but uh, that's just scraping the surface. Let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Hey, it's, it, it, it's pretty easy. I tell you what, it's been the same thing since, uh, you know, I'll say 10, 15 years ago, uh, especially when I got into the restaurants and uh, myself, it's solve a problem, right? Everybody that comes to you, they're trying to solve a problem. In our, our case, we're hungry. Let's feed them, right? <laughs> so uh, that's really what we're trying to do. And, and I've got a whole story about that, but uh, and, and it's validated by a company called Nordstrom's. If you don't know anything about Nordstrom's, that's all they do. I mean, one of the reasons why they can you know charge the prices they want uh, and get people to come back, it's just that everywhere they turn, they solve problems for customers, whether it be uh, making husbands happy by putting a bar, <laughs> you, know, you know, right, right next to the women's clothing. I'm telling you, they're looking for ways for you not to leave room without buying. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? No, I haven't. That's news to me, but it's funny. Uh, yeah. Um, downtown Bellevue. I live in Seattle, Washington, but actually Bellevue. 
uh, yeah, they are putting full bars in Nordstrom's in Seattle uh, as a way to keep husbands happy during the shopping experience. <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> I love it. So uh, solve a problem. When, when I hear you say that, it kind of reminds me of the the saying, just uh, instead of being a person of success, trying to become a person of success, become a per- person of value. And you're a person of value when you, when you can provide solutions to other people and help other people. And if you just focus on helping other people and making other people's lives better, I mean, opportunities just start to show up. Do you believe that? No, absolutely. I'll tell you what, when when people, you know, see that you provide value to their lives, I'm talking about personal life and business life as well. uh, Your circle grows just by people want to feed off of that type of energy. Mm. Now, by solving the problem, you're adding value instantly. And that's really what I try to do is, is help people, you know, with wherever they're blocked. If I have the means, if I have the opportunity, if I have the tools, uh, man, it always comes back to me after I provide the outward expression. And I'm sure you've seen that before. The outward expression comes out. It comes back in so many different ways. And, and a lot of times it's just, I want to do business with this person. So I get customers come to me just because of what we're doing. I mean, I get free education. Uh, I'm one of the top small business experts in the country uh, teaching at the graduate school of banking. I teach bankers how to work with small businesses and it always comes back, right? I provide the banker with, with, with some valuable ways to speak to us, Eric, I mean, mm. you, the restaurateur, me, the restaurateur, how do you get my attention? How do you, how do you, how do you talk to me? And I get more business just because I'm providing the value back. Awesome. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And Mike, you have over 20 years as an entrepreneur in the hospitality uh, fields. You've done a lot of different things. Uh, let's just stay chronological and tell me, like, when did you really, where did it all start for you? Where, where does this journey start for you? Oh, Eric, I tell you what, I mean, I don't know of another person that has a messier resume than me. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't even know how I could get a job beyond this. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, I was a commercial pilot before starting all of this. Yeah. My first job out of college, uh, I was a state trooper in St. Louis. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there you go. Right. I was fighting crime, you know, chasing bad guys. Uh, <laughs> so state trooper, I'm curious, let's put a timestamp to this, not to date you, but uh, what, what time frame are we in right now? Uh, we are in the early nineties. We're talking, you know, 92 ish. Okay. Uh, 93. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm creeping up on 50. I'll, you can timestamp me, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you know, that's what I want to do. I was, I had just graduated from a military Academy. I spent uh, 16 years in the national guard. Uh, you know, I jumped out of airplanes, jumped out of helicopters. Uh, I was an infantry guy, became an MP and just law enforcement drew drew me in. Okay. That's what I wanted. That was my give back to community, right? Like I, I, I wanted to be a police officer. Okay. What, what was the branch military you were in? Uh, I, I was in the Army National Guard. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I did 16 years, got out as a captain, commanded a couple of companies. Uh, I ran the Officer Candidate School for, for three years, so that, that was a fun experience. So, uh, yeah. Let's start uh, there. I feel like there's a lot of value in joining the military. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, just okay. discipline and focus. It's just that – that um, what's the word uh, that the kitchens use? The um, – Oh, I'm I'm at a loss of words right now. The brigade, right? The brigades, the brigade system, and just following orders. And what what did you learn from that time? Sixteen years in the army about how to be, how to act. What did they, what did they teach you? Uh, what you know, when in charge, take charge, right? I mean, that's where you see some of the best restaurateurs is that they are running their business, right? I mean, they're in charge of everything. They run the details. One of the best things that the military gave me was process. 
right? I mean, everything is a process, everything is a procedure, and it becomes so much more efficient. You know, uh, you know, we haven't got there yet, uh, but I'll tell you how we ran three restaurants at once and was able to manipulate our staff o- along them, uh, along each one of them, and schedule people in any position or uh, location that I needed them because of our process. It was mm. the same, right? People knew what to expect. I love it, and I love how you started with that uh, little uh, uh, tear there with when in charge take charge. And I think too often when we're in the, that leadership position too, uh, people are feeding off our energy and our confidence. And if we're not confident, if we don't really have that, that, that confidence going into a situation, our team's not going to follow us. You got to just, you know, even if you don't know what the outcome's going to be, uh, people are picking up on that confidence. So, so when in charge, take charge. I love that. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, people want to be, you know, if I'm working for somebody, I want to be not just led Eric, I want to be inspired. Right. I mean, yes. and, and the best managers, the best, uh, you know, business owners that are out there right now inspire others. You know, and, and that's one of the problems with our political system. <laughs> you know, we're not being inspired, you know, as a people. So I'm saying to you, what you know, control what you can control and inspire others. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And um, anything else during the, the 16 years with the military? Uh, any big lessons that you learned about yourself or uh, just life lessons in general that you can drop on us? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you that. When you're afraid, that's when you take one more step. <laughs> it's just, when you think you want to stop, just take one more step. And that's the biggest thing the military taught me is that, hey, listen, we've put enough confidence. We've invested enough time in your mental uh, training, into your physical training, that you can do more than you think you can. Right. Mm-hmm. So anytime you think you're going to give up, take that next step. You know, Just force yourself to do it. I feel like that's so relevant in the restaurant industry because there's especially in the early days when you're scaling, you're growing your business. Uh, you don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, you know, and, and you're, you're like walking a, a tightrope and, you know, when you're afraid, just take one more step, just keep going. Can you think of a time or an example uh, of when this applied or with maybe a client that you worked with or in your own operations that you can, you can just drop on us real quick? Oh yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, Eric, I mean, I think a lot of us that went through this, especially in the early days of starting a restaurant is, the worst thing that could happen is not be able to make payroll, right? I mean, that's, it's a scary thing. You know, it's, it's, it's not something that you take very lightly. You don't want to have to, you know, tell employees you can't make payroll. So you do everything you can. And it's scary, right? It's scary to be in that position because it's personal, right? You take it personal. You, you, you really, you know, these people have trusted you with their livelihood, you have to be, you know, have the courage to go find a solution, right? And then if you're in that trouble, find a way to avoid it the next time. Mm, great stuff. So, okay, uh, you eventually transitioned to becoming a state trooper, 92 to 93. Around How, how many years were you doing that? Uh, I did that for seven years, seven right? Years? I was okay. chasing, chasing bad guys for seven years. So and, until uh, 99. Uh, what's that? So until 99? Yeah, till, till 99. Okay. Uh, and, 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 and I'll tell you. Uh, it was uh, the birth of my third child, my third daughter, uh, and, and my, my wife at, at the time writing a student loan check. She goes, Hey, are you ever going to use this thing? Being <laughs> 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 the college degree we're paying on. I'm like going, I'm saving the world. You know, <laughs> one speeding you take it at a time. What are you talking about? <laughs> so um, what was your college yeah. degree? I'm curious. I, I have a management degree. Uh, okay. you know, my, my, my undergrad is from, a. uh, Western Illinois University, and I have an MBA uh, from Baylor University. Okay. And uh, is this around the time you started thinking to yourself, like, 
am I going to use my degree? Should I start thinking about other options and then being a state trooper? Is that, is that kind of what got you going in a different direction? Uh, Again, the birth of the third child, that's when my family outgrew my income. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it kind of reminds me of what you just said, which was when you're afraid, that's when it's time to take one more step, right? When you have that extra pressure of the the baby effect, right? You're you're running your life, everything's good. And having babies is one of those things that kind of can make you, you know, your ass pucker a little bit like, oh man, like I got, you know, the expenses are going up. What am I going to do? Sounds like you took one more step. I, I, I had to, right? I mean, you know, uh, uh, with, with, with three young children, I mean, childcare costs were crazy. So my wife uh, stopped working and we were living on just a single income, uh, a police officer's income at that. I mean, which at the time, I mean, they, they've gotten a raise since, but we're talking, you know, $34,000 a year and I've got four people, you know, living yeah. in the house. So four other people. So it, 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 it's, it's one of those things you're like going, oh, I've got to make a change. And what I didn't realize then was how hard it would be to get another job, right? I mean, the, the, the seven years as a state trooper, that that skill, you know, nobody needs you to tackle somebody in the office. So it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, we've got to do something else. So I, I actually, uh, actually, I got into a janitorial company uh, by accident. Right. It was just a friend that wanted to uh, expand his business and let me in. He says, if you help me open an office uh, out in Columbia, Missouri, he goes, I'll give you 10 percent of the profit and match your trooper salary. And I'm like, oh, well, that's already better. <laughs> so uh, I said, how much Brown's profits come through there now? And he says, uh, zero. I said, oh, I'm the king of nothing. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so what did this uh, process look like? Have you joined the team and what how did you turn that company around or did you? Uh, what actually, yeah, we joined the team and I tell you, I tell you, Eric, over, uh, over about a 36 month period, uh, I went from, uh, I went from, uh, zero to $3 million in business. I mean, our first wow. contract was with the university of Missouri. Uh, we, we got a contract building there and then we grew to about a hundred employees over that three year period. Uh, and I more than tripled my salary just because of what we were doing. So, but the work was mentally hard, mentally hard because uh, I, I can remember the first couple of months, uh, you, you know, learning the janitorial business, which wasn't a big stretch, right? It wasn't a big stretch because uh, I, I went to a military academy for the two, first two years of college. Uh, I had went, uh, you know, I was in the military, so cleaning was natural, right? You just learn how to clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and matter of fact, as a, as a child, as a kid, a teenager, uh, I worked in, in, in the local country club in Galesbury, Illinois. Uh, washing dishes, busing tables, waiting tables, eventually becoming a bartender in college. So that's where I got the restaurant uh, bug. But it's also cleaning, right? You know, the, the big mantra that I learned from Dale, the chef, was that if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. <laughs> so, <laughs> so cleaning was just part of it. Uh, so because of that, you got to remember me coming off of being a state trooper, I'm trying to learn janitorial business at 11 o'clock one night. I'm on the University of Missouri campus in Columbia, uh, and a couple of kids come in <laughs> while I'm cleaning a urinal, uh, and man, did they give me hell. <laughs> <laughs> man, I think, hey, if you just get a college degree, uh, you know, you wouldn't have to clean urinals. You know, here I am, you know, you know I've got a college degree. I'm a seven-year state trooper, uh, you know, already well into my, my family life, uh, you know, on my way to turning an MBA, and I'm getting hell from these guys. And I'm like, oh, man, just just a week ago, I was, uh, you know, throwing guys like you in jail. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's a humbling experience, right? I didn't say anything. And, and like I said, we grew a great business. 
the, uh, the challenge with the janitorial company was that it's a ton of work, right? I mean, it just really is. And, and, and I'm not afraid of work, uh, but I had the opportunity uh, to start my own company when I got approached by uh, a couple of restaurants in St. Louis. It says, listen, it looks like you're good at recruiting help. We need help in the kitchen. Can you find us people? And we'll just hire them from a staffing perspective. And that became part of uh, how I developed the hotel staffing niche uh, because from those restaurants, one of the guys went into hotel management and brought my employees with him. And we grew a hotel staffing company from really just an idea. Okay. Um, so what were the big lessons you learned uh, from that experience? Uh, from the janitorial experience or growing into the well, transitioning. Uh, so it sounds like in 2001 was around the time that somebody saw your, your, your talent in recruiting people and recruiting help. Uh, I mean, I think for me, just listening to that, the, the, the lesson for me is if you discover a strength, uh, lean into it. Oh yeah. I mean, and that's what we, again, we went back to process, right? I mean, um, my thought process was, is that I could move off of the business with my partner, not compete with him. Right. Because that's the last thing I wanted to do is compete with, with the guy that actually got me started. Uh, so he was able to jumpstart me into the hotel staffing business uh, which was completely separate. And then any, any janitorial contracts I came across, I would refer back to him. So that's, that's kind of how I broke off of the janitorial business. But the lesson that I learned there was, Hey, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at, at working with people, right? I'm actually pretty good at, at attracting good people and making sure that they are taken care of. My whole key to success in the hotel staffing business. And, and again, it, these are kind of three year chunks, uh, we opened 27 offices in nine states in three years, right? Had almost 500 indirect employees at that point in time. And it all, it was all based on taking away somebody's reason not to work, right? Cause I didn't get paid if they didn't show up for work. So my whole management team, all they did was recruit and take away your reason not to go to work. If you needed a babysitter, we had a list of babysitters. If uncle Joe needed to go to the doctor, we took him. Right. So it, it didn't matter. I mean, my staff was just doing the things that, uh, you know, are obstacles to people actually going to work and earning their own paycheck. I think that's a huge lesson right there. I think we can spend some time really putting the spotlight on this. I think a lot of reasons why people don't come to work is because they don't like their job. That's the biggest reason why people don't come to work. Did you, did you notice that at all? Uh, well, yeah. No, I mean, who likes their job, Eric? I mean, really? <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, except for you. I mean, you, you seem to be, you know, love your job. <laughs> well, give me but, some reason or some other examples of how you help uh, you, you you help people take away the reasons not to work. I mean, how can we apply that that lesson in 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 our restaurants every day? Like, what are some examples you can give? Uh, you know, having a list of babysitters or whatever the reasons. Go into that a little deeper. Well, yeah. And I, and I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to wrap that right back to how we started this whole session, which was, Hey, you, you know, what's, what's, what's the best advice you can give somebody? I say, Hey, solve a problem, mm. right? That permeates through my whole career. If you look at all the, all the places where I could have failed, but didn't, it was because of one sentence, solve a problem. Uh, one of the most classic things we did was somebody say, Hey, my car's broke down or I got a flat tire. Or, I've got this, that, or the other. Well, guess what we did? We jumped in the car, went and got them, took them to work. Right. Uh, it's it, it's as simple as that is we're taking away people's reasons not to do the things that make them successful. You know, and when we talk about people feed off of that energy, 
if I give out, if I give out the positive energy, if I if, if I'm also doing things for others, it comes back to me. And what happened is that our employees didn't leave, right? Because a they were taken care of beyond the paycheck. Two, we always found them work. You know, whereas in the hotel business, you probably know uh, sometimes you're at ninety five percent occupancy, sometimes you're at thirty. Well. Most employees in the hotels don't know if they're going to get 40 hours a week or 25. We took that uh, pain away, which means if one hotel didn't have enough hours, I could put you in another hotel or I could put you in a restaurant. Uh, so I, re- I was able to retain staff that's normally hard to retain just because I could give them the hours they needed to support their family. Mm, so you're solving problems by eliminating the reasons why they can't work, but you're also solving problems in their life by giving them the work because they had challenges that they were probably facing that were inhibiting them to, to make it to work. Uh, so you know, you're, you're removing those challenges and you're also providing opportunity, it sounds like, by solving problems by providing opportunity. Well, well yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's like, oh, I only got 30 hours this week. Well, no. We wanted to make sure as many people as I could had 40 or more hours. Mm. I mean, I wasn't afraid to pay the overtime. It's just uh, I, I, I was more interested in keeping employees than I was recruiting. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just taking care of your people. Retainment is a huge issue in this industry. Uh, and it, absolutely. Uh, yeah. To keep your people. Don't get new ones for sure. You also mentioned earlier, uh, you you realize that around this time that you're good at working with people and attracting people. What is it about you, uh, your your habits, your 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 characteristics? What makes you good at w- working with people and attracting people to yourself? Uh, I'm an FFG. I'm a fun effing guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Come on, Eric. I mean, you gotta have a little fun with this. Yeah. I, I, I think it's the fact that uh, you know I I actually help people. Mm. Uh, you know and. and and I try to, uh, well, that, that, that's really what I'm trying to do. Is I, I'm trying to be genuine. I try to do outreach. I try to, you know, do more for others than get done for me. And, you know, it, it's a long cycle. Don't think that it's going to happen immediately. Uh, it's a long cycle to get folks to kind of wrap around that. But once they see it, once they experience it, once they feel it, that, I'll call it karma, comes back to you. Is there a moment where you realize that this is really how simple it can be? I mean, it's, it's, easier said than done. But is there a moment when you realize, wow, if I just, if I just make it about everybody else and taking care of everybody else, eventually they take care of me. Is there a time that, that this all just kind of crashed into your, your, uh, your head where you just like, it was like an aha moment, like a, like a, a light bulb going off. Yeah. I mean, it, it was when I was starting the, the hotel staffing company because it, it, you got to realize my first experience with people was always seeing them at their worst as a state trooper. You don't get to mm. see people in their best days. Right. You always see them, you know, as they're rushing somewhere or somebody's hurting their family, uh, you, you know, so the the will or the want to to help people was already there. Right. Just because you see them at their worst and you want to help. Now, what I was able to do, though, is say, man, I just need a change of heart. And, and believe it or not, I, I, I believe in, you, you know, this may not be the venue for it, but I believe in servant leadership. Right. Which is. You know, by you putting yourself out there and actually leading people or leading others, and if it comes from your heart, they feel it. It's not something that you can fake, right? It, it really isn't. No, and I think that's the big part right there about uh, the the key factor of attracting people onto yourself is actually you know taking care of people, but actually giving a fuck, and not just going through the motions because that's what you have to do, but really really 
in your heart of hearts saying, I, I want to make this person's life better. And I think that even applies to customer service, right? Your guests, like, oh, they're not happy. What can I do to make you happy? Like, oh my God, like what, what what's going on here? How can I change the situation? And when you're, when you're genuinely from your heart of heart, want to make that situation as good as possible. People, you could even like screw up making it better, but people seeing that you really want to make it better that you can't, you, you can't fake that. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you, my heart changed and it got so much easier because I went from being that state trooper where everybody's having a bad day to hospitality where everybody's having a pretty good day. (laughs) And you can see, you can feel, you get the energy back from your customers. You know, they're there to get a good meal. They're there to have a couple of drinks. They're they're on vacations. They're staying in the hotels. Uh, Because of that, it feeds back and forth and you want to give more because you can feel that positive energy around the relationship. So it sounds like the, the big lessons up to this point, from the recruiting company, it's not about attracting on new people. It's about retaining the people you have. And the best way to retain those people is by solving problems, eliminating the reasons not to work and really just giving a fuck about who them in their life and how you can add value to their day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if you focus on retention, that will take care of the recruiting because they'll tell their friends and you will attract people just like them. Mm. Right. You'll attract people just like them because they say, hey, you have to work here because it's one of the best places in this industry to work. Oh, man. So valuable. Absolutely. Any other big lessons uh, in the recruiting industry from 2000 to what, how long were you doing that? Uh, let's see. Right around 2000 through 2000, I sold Blazing Star Staffing in seven, 2007. Okay. Any other big lessons? Of, I mean, recruiting is probably one of the biggest challenges in the industry right now, finding people. Any other nuggets you can drop on us before moving on to the next phase of your life? Yes. If you're in that business and you're recruiting, it is nonstop effort. It is all day, every day. Right. I had I had what we call area supervisors and their whole job was to always have 10 people ready to go. Mm. I mean, you know, when somebody took a vacation, there would be an air bubble in the recruiting part, which always causes lag and productivity and efficiency. So it's nonstop. I mean, it's every day looking for that next employee and having them ready to go. Yeah. And that's brings up a good point. I feel like sometimes people will hit like a quota. Like, okay, we have five people on staff, whatever the quota is, six people on staff. Uh, we're a small operation. We can stop there. But what about, what about when you find somebody who's better than what you already have? Do you, how do you replace somebody? How do you go about doing that? Like tactfully and grace, gracefully. Well, I mean, uh, (laughs) first of all, you're going to be able to see the differences in performance, right? And you know, my, my hope is you and your listeners are, are, are always evaluating performance and always trying to migrate your, your staff up the value chain. Uh, because you want the best. I mean, it's, it's like GE, you know, every year they, they, they uh, you know, they eliminate the bottom 10% of the performers. Uh, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that's the mentality you have to have. If you've got somebody better, find room for them, right? If I was going to recommend a book, you know, uh, you know, you I will later. <laughs> so do you will eventually, I'm going to make sure that happens, yeah. but you can recommend one now if you want. Yeah, And this is a different one. I've got one for you later, but uh, this is a different one, but in the book, good to great, mm. you know, uh, they talk about putting the right people on the bus and then then moving the bus forward. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to put the right people on your payroll. Even if it costs you a little bit more, you'll find the right spot for them and the weaker performers will weed themselves out. Yeah. And you mentioned something that's really important. You said you have to evaluate performance. How do you, how do you evaluate performance? Well, what, any 
advice on that, how, how to create standards around evaluating performance? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, it has to be, you know, readily acknowledged by by the employee, right? You, it, you can't be vague. You can't say, oh, you're just not performing up to my standards. Well, what are the standards? Exactly. You know, yes. Sorry, keep going. I was hoping you yeah, say that. <laughs> even even if it, 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 in the hotel business, like going, hey, listen, our expectation is you can clean a room in 20 minutes. That's the expectation, right? So, I mean, that, that's the minimum standard. Can you clean a room in 20 minutes? Uh, you know, from from a perspective on the restaurants, you know, there's, there's revenue per hour. There's, there's, you know, sales per customer. Uh, those are the things. I mean, your staff is designed to generate cash for your business, believe it or not. And it, it's returned to them in the form of tips, bonuses, salary. Uh, the circular relationship is there. Uh, from a you know, kitchen perspective, it's ticket times, right? I mean, you know, that's how we measure, you know, it, I, I had 14 minutes. I don't know what you used, Eric, but I, I 14 minutes was my standard. Uh, by the time the ticket hit the, uh, hit, hit the printer to the time it was up in, up in the window, I wanted it in 14 minutes or less. Mm, yeah. Um, great, great advice there. Uh, if you want people to work at a certain standard, you have to set that standard and then you have to track how they're doing, uh, in, in, in their, and if you're tracking everybody, those people that aren't performing well, you know, you know who they are, you know where they are, and you're feeding new people into the system, and those new people are outperforming the older people. You know, I, I think over time, the natural progression, progression, if you have that culture of excellence, the, those people who aren't performing are going to eventually weed themselves out. Yeah, well, absolutely. It, but you measure everything. It doesn't matter. I would measure just traffic count of each bartender shift, right? And, and I could tell who was bringing in a crowd, who was, you know, who was. Uh, who were our best performers and who people came to see, right? Because you got to remember, believe it or not, in a restaurant, you're kind of a character in a play, right? People are coming there to be entertained, yeah. uh, you know, especially in the, maybe not in the larger change, right? I don't really care who the waiter is or stuff like that, but I ran independence. And believe it or not, in the independent, people like to be known, they like to be recognized, and they like to be, you know, part of your play. Awesome. Um, great stuff up to this point. Uh, so, any other nuggets from this time from 2000 to like 2009 uh, with the recruiting business, any knowledge you can drop on us before moving on to the next phase of your life? Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in, in the recruiting business, it, it's again, it is one of the best ways, <laughs> believe it or not, to engage with larger corporations, right? They need needed this service. One of the things that made us successful is being a preferred partner with Marriott and that's what I did. As soon as I figured out what my niche was, and in my case, I didn't work with Motel 6, Super 8, or anything like that. It was full service, high-end hotels and resorts. You had to have a kitchen. You had to have a restaurant. Uh, you, you know, you had to have one of the, one, one of the names, you know, Hilton, Hyatt, Marriott. Uh, that's just where I chose to focus. And once you become focused and people know you in that industry, when they move around, they move from Marriott to Hyatt or one Marriott to another, they take you with you. You know, and by the end, I had about 67% of my business was coming from referrals or previous customers. Awesome. Great stuff. Um, so what was the next phase in your uh, evolution? Well, there was kind of overlapping, right? I mean, uh, I, when, when we was in the hotel staffing business, again, I was, I was married at the time and my wife wasn't working. Uh, she was getting kind of bored, right? The, the kids were more into school. She was getting kind of bored and we were looking for a way that she could just do things, right? And and what we were afraid of was just her going and getting a job. 
because we'd come, become accustomed to just being able to travel and go whenever we wanted to. Uh, so I thought the best way to, to keep her engaged, give her something to do was just to buy a small company and let her run it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 and Eric, it, it wasn't a restaurant. Well, my idea wasn't on the restaurant, right? And that, uh, it was on, uh, we looked at landscaping co- companies. I mean, uh, bridal shops, I mean, motorcycle park shops. I mean, I looked at anything that I thought we could, you know, easily, uh, get in, set in our process. And you know, generate a cash machine for her that she can manage instead of build from scratch. So, what did I hear uh, that she ran across a local bar and grill? So, but, sorry, was that a local bar and grill that you guys purchased that she started taking over? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm curious how did how was that process? Was she? Oh, she, she hated. She it. wasn't it was bored. Terrible. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, but 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 financially, it made sense. I mean, when I evaluated the company. Uh, financially, it made sense. I wasn't afraid of it because of my experience, you know, washing dishes, busting tables. You know, uh, I, I even worked as a prep cook, you know, sometimes. But it's just my experience there, I thought, would translate. And her experience and, you know, she she was in the Army as well. Uh, just being able to manage people from, you know, her, her perspective, I thought was going to be a good combination. My financial and industry versus, you know, her, her com- compared, not compared, combined with her ability to get along with people and manage people. Uh, and believe it or not, it worked. You know, we took a struggling, failing uh, restaurant right off the bat uh, and turned it around and, and and was able to generate a lot of cash from it. So much cash that we built a second restaurant. Uh, and then I bought a multi-use building because uh, I, I needed some apartments for my employees. <laughs> they didn't have they didn't have places to stay. We're like, well, remember, I'm just trying to solve problems. But in the bottom of this building was another restaurant. So that's how I ended up in three restaurants uh, in about a two and a half year time period. Okay. We were operating through the time. Let's really, let's really dive into the, like how you went from uh, buying a restaurant, not being in the restaurant industry before, excluding the experience you had in college, I guess. Uh, but how, how did you know it made financial sense? You said it made financial sense. So what does, what does financial sense look like? Uh, well, in, in this case, it was a local place. Uh, financially, I could see the business, I mean, meaning that I was able to evaluate the cash that was running through the business, but it wasn't hitting the owner's pocket. I'm like, well, I, I can see the traffic count. I can see, uh, I went in there as a customer for two months and just watched. And what I saw uh, was a poorly run team uh, that, you know, really was stealing from the company. Okay. Uh, it, I don't know how else to say that. I mean, what I saw was drinks going over the bar. What I saw was, you know, cash not going in the till. I mean, I, I, you name it, I saw it. And, you know, I went in with a plan. It took me two months to put it together, change the whole POS system, put cameras in, fire the bar manager. I mean, we went with a whole plan on how to change it day one. Okay. And how did that go? Uh, it was rough. You know, we had the whole staff walk out on, on you know, the week of grand opening. <laughs> Why did they walk out? What happened there? Uh, well, because we went in and, and took away all their extra income. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, uh, so they were there for the wrong reasons, you know, essentially. Eric, I'm just trying to be honest, man. I mean, no, it I appreciate all, it. Was it was all great. I mean, well, we, we had big problems in the beginning. Anybody and everyone listening to this podcast knows that the restaurant industry isn't all rainbows and leprechauns and unicorns. It, 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 there's reality to it. Um, and that's what we're here to do is to uncover the reality. So it wasn't people left. People walked out. Uh, how did you recover from that? 
Uh, well, I already had a hotel staffing company. Guess what I did? <laughs> okay. <That makes> sense. <laughs> yeah. I went to the hotel staffing company and say, who wants to work at a restaurant? <laughs> yeah. So you had, you had that cushion there. You had that, that network that, that, uh, people say, you know, go into business with a nest egg of cash for the issue, issues like this, but you had a net, a nest egg of people qualified and interested in hospitality in the service industry. Just, just absolutely got lucky. I mean, you know, that was never the plan, but my plan was to also give hours inside the, uh, the restaurants. Uh, but I didn't think I would have to replace, you know, half the staff in the first month. Okay. So you said that you went in there, you started implementing systems and processes, but what did that process look like of implementing processes? Uh, well, first of all, we carried this through all of them. I, I set up every cooler the same way. You know, we'll just take a, you know, a 12 foot, uh, you know, bottle cooler, you know, where it started off with Budweiser, Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light, you know, craft beers. Every cooler in every restaurant was set up the same way. So I can move bartenders around mm. to every different place and they wouldn't have to, you know, be reacquainted with where things were. Okay. Even the walk-in coolers were the same, right? With, with steak, chicken, you know, a hamburger, all of those things in the same place, same spot in the walk-in cooler. And it made it so much easier. So what did that, um, so from the time that you opened this first restaurant in 2009 that you or didn't open, but you took over this restaurant in 2009 to getting uh, the second location going, how long, what time elapsed there? Uh, well, no, I, I, I bought the first one in 2006. Okay, I built 2006. the second one in 2007. Okay. 2006. You, know, you know, right before the economy, you know, just, uh, well, it did so well for everybody. <laughs> yeah, you know 2007 2008 that's when the bankers burnt the world down and you know and and i of course i chose to build a restaurant you know going right into that so what how did you know you were ready in 2008 to open the second restaurant what, what did that picture look like um I, just opportunity okay um there was a there because i because i had gotten into the restaurant bar industry all of a sudden you start to get to know all of the other owners, right? Okay. I mean, and I'm sure it's true in any city you go to, uh, most restaurateurs kind of know all the people in their area, yep. right? You just kind of get to know each other. Yeah. Uh, it's like, a, it's like a circle of friends. And, and that's really what happened. I had a guy come to me and says, Hey, I'm struggling. Uh, he had a great location. Um, but he, he lacked the cash, right? And when you lack the cash, your customers see it. They see it in, you know, the fact that you don't have napkins you know, or, or you don't, uh, you know, you only have one person working. Uh, they'll see when you're struggling and they don't reward that. Okay. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, talk to us about this, the significance of cash flow. You know what? It, 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 it is the absolute lifeblood. I mean, uh, every your, your business is a machine. I don't care how you make money, Eric. I don't care if it's a dry cleaner. I don't care if it's a tire dealer, restaurant, hotel staffing. Your business is supposed to generate cash. It is a machine, right? And what you have to do is find the process that does that. Your business is supposed to work for you, not the other way around. Uh, and, 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 and so cash is what needs to come in. And, and, and I do a seminar. Uh, matter of fact, I'm probably going to do it 10 times in the next two months called the speed of cash. And the speed of cash is basically saying, how do I control the money coming in versus the money going out? And you do it with a combination of numbers, meaning, you know, what's your day's cash on hand, which is the money going out. And when I talk about days, you know, as a state trooper, I use miles per hour as speed in business. Speed is, is, is determined by days. How many days of cash do you have or how many days does it take for you to get cash back? If I buy inventory, that's money gone. It's sitting on my shelf. How long does it sit on the shelf? Because that's dead money until you sell it. 
Okay, beautiful. So you come into this restaurant. Uh, actually, is there anything else you want to tie up there before moving on to how you turned it around and how you got that cash flow going? Uh, yeah, well, well I'm, I'm just saying that's – we didn't realize – I had a – you know, in 2007, 2008, when I built the second restaurant, first of all, the first place that I bought was a legacy bar and grill. Everybody knew it. It had been there for 30 years already. It already had an established clientele. The second one, we tried to go different. We went a whole new theme. I mean, I went in and remodeled the the whole restaurant uh, from what it was because it struggled. Remember, it had a bad it had a bad reputation, so I had to go change the reputation. The only way I could think of doing that is build it out from scratch with a whole different theme. Uh, when you do that, you're going to get some curiosity seekers, but you lose all the legacy customers. Okay, um, so there's a, there's the pros and cons that you're losing your loyalty but you're getting a whole new wave of curious customers. What's the trick there to, you know, if you're losing those loyal customers, uh, what's the trick on retaining those new ones? Uh, first of all, you have to attract new ones, right? That, that, that's the first part of it. Uh, retaining, retaining them or engaging them is once they get into the restaurant uh, is what's the experience like? I mean, you know, and, and you, you're a customer, you know what kind of experience you like. Uh, you know, for, for me, you know, it's, it's a great atmosphere. It's, it's a friendly staff. It's a good quality menu. Um, we just happened to have, it, it was a bottoms of brew house was the name of the restaurant in O'Fallon, Missouri. Uh, and we had, you know, 70 beers, right. It's, it's just kind of our thing, you know, and our, our theme was, uh, the classic pinup girls. So, you know, that, that was the mood we wanted to establish is, you know, is it, it's, it's casual, smart, uh, but a little risque as well, right? Okay. So you, this is that 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 brand that you just described to us was the new brand that you put in, yeah. It, yeah, that's right. And and we did that because we th- we we were thinking that okay, craft beer was really starting to make its initial push. Uh, you know, it always been around. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But you know, it's not like it is today. You know, two thousand eight craft beer is not what it is today. Ten years later. Uh, so what we tried to do was was put a theme around it that would attract new customers. And then we advertised the heck out of it. Right. When we were on the radio, I mean, we did a, a movie. I, I even did movie slots at the local theater, you know, a mile away, you know, where just every movie that played was driving people back to the restaurant, which really was really successful and, and, and pretty, pretty inexpensive. Uh, if, if people can do that. Um, we got spotlighted. I went to city hall, got involved with the chamber of commerce, went to, you know, uh, the, anybody I could, could that could help me. I just tried to get involved. And again, remember we talked about people liking people. That's why, you know, I, I think people like to do business with me is because they just like me. Mm. And because of that, they, I just got the mayor and the city councilman and everybody just started stopping by. And from there, it just kind of blossomed out, but it took all the way through 2008 to build up a, a good clientele. So it was about 18 months of, of struggle. Okay. Um, so how did you, how did you keep showing up during that circle? How did you know it was going to be worth it? Uh, <laughs> I'm stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what else to do, but just go and do the work. And, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and believe it or not, I had to reinvest in that thing at least two or three times uh, just to make sure it stayed afloat because I could feel it, right? I could feel the groundswell happening. It was just taking longer. So the longer it took, the more active I became in the community. And as soon as I started being more active in the community, they, they repaid me. Mm. How, give me an example of how you got more active in the community. 
uh, I, I started, you know, I, I just started taking food over to, you know, the chamber of commerce. I just sponsors. Hey, I, I got your lunch this next week. And I just take some of our food there. Uh, you know, I hosted, you know, uh, city council members for their pregame or pre pre stuff meetings. Uh, we, we had, poli- you know, people that were politicians used us for their launch parties. Uh, I would give away our, our party space just to get groups in there. Right. I mean, I just give it away. I'm like, well, cause I'd rather have the money on the, on, on the food and beverage than on, on the rental of the room or the deposit on the room. Okay. Uh, so anything I could to just say, Hey, listen, we got this great space. You know, you got your birthday coming up, come over, but you have to tell that story all day long, every day. You can't just, you know, think you're going to put out a Craigslist ad or, you know, put something on Facebook and everybody's going to show up. It has to be constant and every day. What do you mean you got to tell that story? Every day? What do you mean? Tell the story. T- tell the story of what, what you have to offer. You know, what is your value proposition? Uh, you know, what I try to t- teach my folks is your value proposition is really the combination of three, you know, three sentences. It's I help this type of person, right? In our case, I help people that are hungry, you know, <laughs> with, with this type of problem. So I help people who are hungry enjoy a meal that they, they, they can have in a great atmosphere, right? So it's I help this type of person with this type of problem by doing these things. That's my value proposition. Beautiful. Um, so you also opened a third restaurant, pretty close to opening the second restaurant. Any big lessons from that experience before moving on to more present day? What you got going on? Yeah, the uh, the magic number to uh, you know pulling your hair out is the third restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw me right now, Eric, I mean, I've got a bald spot on the back of my head. I yeah, think it's from the. We third. were using video earlier. I saw it. That's why I shave no, my head now. Process. By the way. Yeah, it's it's like I was a glutton for punishment, like going, man, why do I keep starting from scratch? Why do I keep, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's, you know, what I've done. I've, you know, I've built 10 companies now. It's like, I'm like going, once it becomes a process, once it becomes corporate, once it becomes routine, I think that's when I get bored. Mm. Uh, well, know, that's, a, that's a key thing right there, though. You, you got to get to the point where you build it into a process. And I think most people never get to that point where they've created a business and they've converted the day to day to processes that you can then delegate. And uh, I hate to use the word automate just because I don't think anything about this industry should be automated because uh, automation is not necessarily a good thing. It can be too automated. But when you have a process so you can give people the tracks to, to get on to get the job done done right. Uh, I mean, how do you get to that point? What's the secret to doing that? Well, first of all, I like what you said about not automation. It shouldn't be automated because your restaurant, especially in the independent world that, you know, we kind of operate in, uh, it's an art, right? Mm-hmm. People come there because of the art that you've created. Uh, you know, the way you serve the plates, the way you interact with the customer. Um, you know, the, the, the part about building a process is perseverance, right? Again, you have to go back to my mentality from being a trooper, being in the army, is that here's the mission, you don't stop until you, you get it to that point. Mm. Right? And because of that, I was able to add on more and more uh, responsibility, more and more value, more and more uh, diversity. And, and, you know, because then we got into real estate right after that. So I uh, love that, that we need to put some, some emphasis on that. Uh, you, you need the mission. You need that, that aiming point. You need something to shoot for, to have it be where you want it to be. And I think sometimes people are so reactive. They just show up to work and they're reacting to the, the world around them. But you need to be proactive. You need to act on the world around you to get it to that point, to that that that, that vision. You said mission, but it's also kind of like the vision of what you want it to become. You need to set that standard of where we're going to end up. And most people don't do that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes right back to what we said before. Take the next step, even when you don't want to, you know. But, uh, you know, as, as a trooper, they used to tell me, 
never let other people's actions dictate the way you react. And that's the same thing as following the mission, which is, no, I'm here to build this process out because it will make this restaurant better for all customers, not necessarily this one customer's problem. Mm. Awesome stuff up to this point, man. I'm loving the conversation. So uh, do, you, do you still have the restaurants today? Uh, no, I, I am all in on software today. Okay. So um, <laughs> take us through the decision to to sell the restaurants. How did that go? Did you come out with, with a profit? Did you make money on these restaurants? Did, did you come out on top? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, that's how I was able to get into the software, right? Uh, it, what happened for me was uh, a large competitor in the staffing company liked what I built, right? He liked the fact that because he was struggling with maintaining people. He was he was doing old school staffing putting an ad in the paper, whoever walked in that day, he put them to work that day and then pay them cash. And then maybe they come back tomorrow or not. Mm-hmm. Right. It was the old temporary staffing. That's not what I did. I, I did. I, I made a hybrid between the, you know, the typical 40 hour employee and temporary labor, which means you might not work in the same location every day, but it feels like a regular full-time job. Right? Okay. So when he saw that and he saw how I could take the housekeepers out of the hotel and make them, you know, not make them, ask them to clean the apartments, you know, as people moved out. Uh, or I had a two man repair crew for the apartments that also fixed the restaurants uh, or that anybody inside the restaurants could do really almost any job because it was all set up the same. It made sense to him. OK, uh, he ended up making an offer on all but one restaurant. And the only reason he didn't want the third restaurant uh, it was because it was 35 miles away and he thought it was outside of his, his limitations for management. Okay. That makes so, sense. Uh, I, I held on to that for another year uh, and sold that. Uh, you know, I sold that actually twice because I did the first one with owner financing, which is a whole nother segment we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> whole nother segment. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll down. Taking that restaurant back and selling it again the second time. And I made more money on it on two sales than I did the whole year in profit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, so what made you want to get out of, of the, the operations side of things? What was the opportunity that came up? Uh, why, why choose this direction to sell and do something else? Um, I wanted to, I, I, I had a lot, if you just look at it, I had a lot of moving parts. I had a hotel staffing company, three restaurants, and then, you know, nine multifamily housing units. When you get there, you got all of these moving parts. Mm. And, and I had this dream. I'm like going, if I didn't have all these and I could just focus on one larger company, heck, I might be able to build a billion dollar company, mm, right? Okay. You know, I don't know. So that's really what it was, was it's like, going, okay, well, if I get rid of all of these smaller parts, have the cash, invest in something that's got more scale uh, and focus on one thing, maybe I can do better. Okay. And uh, that, that, I mean, that sounds like sound rationale. I think it's a good plan of action. So uh, what, what did you want to focus on after selling this time? Yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play golf and chase around my girlfriend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> where are you now? Tell me where, where you are now and uh, what you got going on now and how, how are you making that happen? Uh, yeah. I work for a company called Phenograph where, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an investor as well. Uh, and we are solving Cash flow. Our, my mission right now is to eliminate cash flow problems as a reason that businesses fail. Mm. Uh, you, you know, sixty-five percent of businesses fail because of cash flow problems. Uh, I feel like I have a a good software tool to help people do that, uh, and b the knowledge and the passion to want to help people do that. So, 
you know, we're doing it with a combination of software and education. Uh, and, and, and I'm telling you, I think we're changing people's lives because what I want people to do is build transferable value. And, and that's again for another segment. If you ever want to do one, Eric. Yeah, I just made a note that you're coming back on the show to talk about cash flow because <laughs> that's a huge part of the success in this industry is managing cash flow. And we could do a whole segment, like you said, on that. If you're down, I'm down. Sure, sure, okay, awesome. So um, I, I, I'm more than well, well. Let's get it. <laughs> yeah. You also mentioned what was the other thing you mentioned? I would love to have you come back too. You mentioned um, uh, owner financing. Was that what it was? Yeah, which is, uh, you know, what's, what's your exit strategy? I mean, and that's just one piece of it, right? I, I happen to do some owner financing, so I've, I've got some experience, you know, talking to people about, uh, you, you know, the good part about that and the not so good, like when you get a bankruptcy notice. Okay, you're coming back <laughs> on the show. We're talking about cash flow and uh, what, what would the other topic be? Just to summarize that for me. The, the... Uh, yeah, I want to talk about cash flow. I want to talk about building transferable value. And building right. transferable value is, when I leave this, you know, this business that I built, that I put my whole life into, do I have enough money to do what I want to do next? Right. right. So I want to, I want to talk to people about, you know, how to build transferable value. All right. I've made the decision. The topics are added to my list of potential episodes. You're coming back on the show. I'm loving this conversation, but we're going to take a quick break right now to thank our sponsors and we'll come back for the speed round. Unless I should give you an opportunity. Is there anything else you want to drop on us before thinking of sponsors? No, let's take some sponsors, man. Uh, all right, we'll be right back. <laughs> Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. <laughs> Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks. That stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call one 6683006691 mention restaurant unstoppable and receive 10% off your first 3 months and say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with sorcery ap automation to be unstoppable most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time it happens right uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision and that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, 
but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Mike, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I, man, we've been hitting on this the whole time. It's just uh, I, I just don't quit. Right. I mean, it's it, it's one of those things where it's perseverance, uh, but with a strategy. Right. I'm, I'm not just saying just do things with without, uh, you, you know, knowing where you're going. Uh, it's point the car down the highway and keep it in the lane. And what I mean by the lane is whatever your strategy is, keep it there, but don't quit till you hit the destination. So don't quit and have a strategy, having a strategy. Well, that's right. You got to know where you're going, right? Otherwise you're just going to wander aimlessly in the desert. Awesome. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Oh, my biggest week. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm too kind hearted sometimes. Right. I, I think I can be, uh, uh, I can be too generous. Mm. How's that hurt you in the past? Uh, well, I mean, it's hurt me financially, you know, where, where I've, I, I've given money to people, you know, to, to help them get started to, uh, you know, to people that I've kept on the payroll too long, uh, to people I've kept in my life too long. So there, there, there's a lot of instances where uh, I have probably shown more generosity, uh, but it does not outweigh the good things that have also come back. Beautiful. Um, and uh, you know, I, I do, and you made the point that I was going to ask, you will get burnt being the guy who gives more than he gets. I feel like, uh, ultimately over time you will get more. So don't let it discourage you when you do get burnt, you know, don't let that, don't, don't lose that, uh, that desire to help others and to, to give, because I think it, it helps and more often than not, it, it pays off in the long run. Do you agree? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you can look at it just, you know, with, with the with the explosion of homelessness that's happened right now. Uh, Was it the explosion of homelessness? Is that what you said? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, that that pulls on your heartstrings. You know, it makes you want to take action. You know, and and just because there's maybe no fruit that bears from your generosity doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Uh, today is the financial education of small business owners. It's, it's, it's getting them to take a step back to work on their business because they spend all of their time working in their business. So uh, all of these thousands of things that people do all day long to make their business run, they need to take a step back at least monthly and say, what happened, right? What did I just create with all these tasks? Uh, so yeah, so, so getting people to understand that, uh, taking a look at the results of their work matters because it sets the direction of what you should do next. Yeah, you've got to track the work. you got to track the effort and see if you're making progress or going in the wrong direction. Um, and most people, like they just wake up every day and, like I said, and just react to the world around them and don't track and, and they're not proactive in making conscious decisions that, to, to get going forward. Um, so I agree there. Uh, share one Good. code of conduct or behavior you teach your team or taught your team when you're in the still working in the restaurant business. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, 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 you've got to treat everybody as if they are your best customer. Uh, and beyond that, I mean, I, I'm going to carry it over from my military days uh, and, and the oath of office from from an officer. Uh, 
is, you know, uh, I will not lie, lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. So because of that, it, it carries over in your daily life, right? Which means surround yourself with good folks and don't do the things uh, that hurt others. Mm-hmm. What is one uncommon standard of service you taught your team? Oh, it is. All right. So you, uh, you, I'm going to drop it here first because it has never been outside my office uh, at Finograph. But I want them to create an aura, right? An aura means A-U-R-A, which means acknowledge the customer in minutes, which means if you if you call in or you email in uh, to my staff, I want them to respond to you saying, hey, I got your request. I'm working on it. So aura, the first one is acknowledge in minutes, which means if it gets to an hour, they failed, right? All I want them to do is say, hey, I heard you. The second one is update, right? Update is the you. I want them to update in hours, which means if it gets to a day, that means it's too long. I want them to say, hey, I didn't get you done today. I'll get you tomorrow. Um, But at least give the customer an update. Third one is to resolve. I want them to resolve the problem in days, which means if it gets to a week, it's too long. I want them to, you know, have a resolution if they can have it within days. And then the last one is to acknowledge, I'm sorry, not acknowledge, to approach, uh, approach in weeks. That means touch every customer every month. That Those are great things. Just to summarize real quick, acknowledge, update, resolve, approach. Uh, and I feel like you can take that, that method and condense it to like seconds and minutes uh, for like serving for example, serving a customer like at a, at a table, you know, if you don't have time to get to somebody right away, don't get to them when you have time. Just walk by, touch the table, be like, I'll be with you in three minutes. Uh, if it's three minutes and you need another minute, acknowledge that you're a little more busy than you thought. Update them. Sorry, one more minute. Uh, get the get the 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 buster, the the host to drop water off for you. Know, be proactive, and then, like you say, resolve uh, an approach. Um, I'm not sure how I can relate those ones, but you, you picking up what I'm putting down it, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and I'm sure if you and I massaged it, we, I mean, we could create, a, you know, a, a <laughs> yeah. great, uh, you know, a, a great standard for, for restaurateurs. Beautiful. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurants operator? Uh, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Mm. Why is that book so important? <laughs> there you go. Because the way we make decisions, the way you impact people, you have to give them the why. Right. People understand facts and figures. They understand the logic. They understand the rationale, but they need to know the why. Even back in the military, you know, you put an 18 year old on a, on a, you know, at a crossroads out in the middle of the desert and say, don't let anybody pass here. He needs to know why he's doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you give people the why, you also get their passion. You get them behind you. They believe what you believe. And when people believe what you believe, they're more willing to help you accomplish whatever it is you're trying to. People don't. So I'd say, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just saying. So I, I would say read uh, Simon Sinek's Start With Why, or he has an 18-minute YouTube video on the Golden Circle. Everybody that's listening to this should go listen to Simon Sinek and what he has to say about the Golden Circle. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And, uh, there you go. And I'll link to that book and that, that video in the show notes. He also has... Uh, another book that came out more recently about a year ago called How to Find Your Why, uh, which is a spinoff of Start With Why. For a lot of people who are struggling to to fine-tune and get clarity on what their why is, I would, I would say, yeah, read both those books. Great stuff there. Um, and share an online resource or tool that you leverage or leveraged or 
are currently leveraging. I'm just rambling now. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Since we're on a podcast, I'm going to give you two others that I think are fantastic. All right. One is called Business Bootcamp. Uh, It's by a guy named Mike Andes. uh, And he talks about really the startup. He's more small business focused, the startup uh, about, you know, how to market it, how to get it going. But I think he does a nice job connecting the audience on, on, on that business bootcamp. Uh, the second one is, is a guy named Barry Moltz. And I don't know if you know him or not, but he is a cash flow guru for small businesses. Uh, and he, he's got a podcast as well called Business Insanity. Both of those two, I mean, I, I, I love them. I respect them. And I would say if you're going to listen to podcasts, the three you need to listen to are Restaurant Unstoppable, uh-huh. you know, Business Insanity, and Business Bootcamp. Awesome. Thank you for the pitch. <laughs> and uh, this is episode 474, I believe. Let me just confirm that. Sorry, 475. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 475. I'll link to uh, those um, re- those resources, the books that were mentioned, uh, and also the tool that you're about to recommend what is one technology or tool you leverage within your restaurants that had a huge impact on operations well i mean with that i had inventory management systems i mean i I needed to know what was coming in and what was going out and in the beginning it was just excel and then i started leveraging quickbooks uh what didn't exist then what existed in excel form in my mind uh was the tool that my company's now created called cashflowtool.com uh, if you're ever been worried about, you know, paying a bill or running out of cash or, you know, unexpected expenses, go try cashflowtool.com. Beautiful. And again, this is episode four, seven, five. I'll have those links in the show notes. And Mike, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, your restaurants will be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Well, I, I'm going to reinforce two that I've been talking about is solve a problem, you know, be part of somebody's life positively. Second is control what you can control. Don't get flustered by things that are out of your control. Find a way to control the things you can control. And the last one is, you know, just to live, love and laugh. Right. I mean, put put some happiness in your heart and in your in your life. Beautiful. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey, to share your advice, your mentorship. This was a great conversation. Uh Now we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who is one independent operator, somebody you admire in this industry and think would make a great guest mentor on the show? Uh, If you can get him and I'll I'll help you do it. Uh, My mentor, when I was starting these restaurants, the guy I went to when I had problems, uh, the guy that helped me solve a lot of process problems. Uh, He used to run 85 Denny's. Uh, And if you know, Denny's is high volume. It's fast. It's it, you know, there's branding involved. There's process involved. His name is Fred Blair. Uh, and he lives in O'Fallon, Missouri, and that guy is a superstar operator in my mind. Fred Blair, look out. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if we want to pick up the conversation, uh, maybe ask some questions or ask some questions about Finograph. Uh, what's the best way to connect? Uh, best way to connect? I mean, you, you can always reach me at Mike at Finograph.com. Uh, but connect with me on on, on uh, Twitter, at uh, BizTechnician. Uh, believe it or not, B-I-Z-T-E-C-H-N-I-C-I-A-N. Is that right? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So at, uh, I am the biz technician, which is, you know, sm- kind of a small business uh, uh, expert consulting, uh, do all of those things. But right now I'm focused on solving cash flow. 
Beautiful. And again, this is episode 475. I'll have all the links in the show notes. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, you can just tap the screen and then find the complete show notes in your, on your phone right in iTunes, uh, the iTunes app uh, or the, the podcast app for iTunes. So make it even easier uh, if you want to connect right now. Just go into the app, click the email or whatever, and you can email them today if you have to. Mike. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I've enjoyed every second of it. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Man, I love it, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Let's do this again. For sure. Cheers. Well, there is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable in Mike Milan just dropping some value, some big takeaways for me today. I hope you guys picked up on them too. But the first one is uh, take away people's excuses not to work. And when you hear that, you might be thinking to yourself like you're going to challenge them. You're going to argue with them and give them reasons why they can figure it out. But literally provide the solution. Uh, be a problem solver, like he says, uh, whether that's purchasing a company vehicle or having a backup vehicle. Uh, where they can borrow a car for a couple of days if their car breaks down, or maybe even having a protocol where there's a, a company Uber account or whatever, where or they can call you and you can get them to work somehow, some way. Maybe you have a Rolodex of babysitters. Maybe you have a partnership with a local with a local babysitter company. Who knows? Uh, get creative. Provide solutions. Re- remove those excuses for people not to work, and that just really at the end of the day means being there for people in in existing to serve others and i think that's the approach that mike took and it worked really well for him uh also always be hiring if you come across somebody who is the perfect fit for your restaurants hire them find space for them get them on your team some way somehow it's only going to make you and your restaurant better and your people better you got to keep that those positive influencers coming in those doors and um, ultimately, really, the best restaurateurs in this world, they figure that out. And that's how they're able to grow so many restaurants because they're all it's all about the people. This industry is all about attracting greatness to yourself. And when you get them, you, you provide opportunity for them. You, you hang on to them. You, you even invest in their own plans for their own businesses and, and make them a partner. It's all about surrounding yourself with great people. So make room for those people. Uh, create standards so you can track the, how your people are performing so you know how they stack up against each other so you you know who the diamond in the roughs are uh, some great resources resources out there to do that if you're interested let me know and then lastly 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 some great advice on cash flow and uh and i think he called it be a transferable business or a transition it was in there but some great conversations uh, potentially for the future. Mike's always welcome back on the show. And then lastly, guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Instagram and Twitter is Eric Cacciatore and then slash restaurants unstoppable on Facebook. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what your, your challenges are. I'm here to serve you. But in order for me to do that to my fullest capacity, I need you to tell me where the pain is. So tell me where the pain is. Tell me where you're, you're struggling. Tell me who you want to get on the show. I'll get them on the show. And uh, I guess that's all for today. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. I wouldn't be able to do this without you guys. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, you know it. Peace out.